It's time for episode 495 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that survived the Ides of March. I am one of your hosts for this show today, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet, not by my typical uh, pal, Dan Morin, but instead by my other pal, my good friend, my co-host on iOS today. It's Rosemary Orchard. Hello, Rosemary. Hello, Micah. This is strange. We're not recording iOS today, but we are recording a podcast, which is great fun. So why not? (laughs) It is great fun. And I am so thankful that you have joined me today as my co-host. Let me introduce the guest to my left. It is the consumer tech reporter at Gizmodo. And honestly, one of my favorite pop culture geeks, it's Flo Ion. (laughs) Hi, Flo. Thank you for that, Micah. And sitting to my left is John Voorhees, managing editor of Mac Stories. And, you know, one of my favorite nerds who writes really, really great in-depth articles about specifically new upcoming Mac features. That's kind of your specialty about Mac Stories, isn't it, John? It kind of is. Thanks, Rosemary. It's great to be here. You all know how this show works. We've got 30 minutes. We've got four topics. Let's get underway. My topic, I'm curious, what form of generative AI, text, photo, video, audio, has been the most compelling to you thus far? And uh, tell us maybe why for you it's been the most compelling. Flo, we'll start with you. Well, I'm still waiting for my Google Bard invite as of right now. (laughs) Um, So until I get to try that one out, I actually think... What um, Microsoft announced last week with what it's going to do with an office has me very interested. And also, I think Google had some announcements along the same vein, which is that they're going to take the AI to basically help you do some of the menial tasks of using these office suites. So it'll help you like put together a slideshow very easily, which I know is like a big deal for some industries. In the Google's version, it's going to help you get notes from an email. So you can just have like a quick summary instead of having to go through an entire thread. So I just think about sort of these time-saving ways that AI is going to help out. Um, of course, you know, there's the caveat that that means giving them access to texts and things, but uh, at least I have some help. For me, the most compelling form of generative AI has specifically been, you know, um, fiction text so far, where you give it a writing prompt um, and then it goes off and it creates something. And we've had this sort of thing for years where, you know, people have been feeding, you know, Seinfeld scripts into an algorithm and it's produced, you know, a Seinfeld episode or multiple Seinfeld episodes. And, and that to me is very entertaining, but um, I'm not sure how useful it is. Um, it's certainly compelling um, and it doesn't feel like it's going to put any authors out of work at all. But I mean, you never know. Um, for me, the the actual like artwork, like pictures and so on that it's created, it kind of feels like it's just photo filters from what I've seen. But I could be totally wrong about that. What do you think, John? So, so far, I think I've been most excited and interested in the audio generative AI, which is both directions, really, because one of the first things I did when Whisper AI came out from OpenAI is that I converted every episode of our podcast, App Stories, into text. 
and there are over 300 episodes. Now, it isn't, it's remarkably good. It's better than any other transcription software I've ever used, but it's still not good enough to really create a transcript that you would publish somewhere. However, it's been really useful to me just to be able to have text searchable versions of all of our episodes that I can then, you know, find something that I know I said some point in the past and then link to that, which has been pretty cool. And I've also been testing, I cloned my voice and I've been, I've been trying out what that is like, because I think there's a, there's a space where it might make sense to be able to offer versions of the articles that we publish on Mac stories in the author's voice or create um, eBooks and things like that. And it's, uh, it's remarkably well done. I was surprised at how much it sounded like me. I mean, there's a lot of evil that could be done with that too, but uh, I do see some upsides as well. I have to agree with Flo. I found what uh, Microsoft kind of revealed with using tools in Microsoft Office uh, to be incredibly compelling. Uh, the way that you could take a text document and create a PDF, and more importantly, the way that instead of it just being this sort of one place, this one window where you type things in and you get responses there, but the fact that the AI could kind of be plugged into all these different tools and understand the context of what you're asking it and be able to launch different tools to create whatever it is that you are wanting to make, that is what I want from a virtual assistant. Uh, and of course, the the photos, the videos, the audio, I think are very cool. But for me, it's just this AI that can run all of the different applications in my life is just oh, such a such an interesting idea. All right. Thank you all for your answers on that. Let us go to our next topic, which comes from Flo. One thing that's particularly struck me is this idea of spatial audio. I recently went down to Santa Barbara and I got to listen to the new Sonos speakers that they are launching. And again, I got like another demo spatial audio there. And so I'm kind of curious, like, what is everybody's journey with this tech currently? Is this something that matters to you? And um, is anybody still obsessed with having surround sound in the living room? Well, personally, I have tried spatial audio on uh, on a couple of things, and I recently got a pair of HomePods, and I've set them up as a stereo pair. Um, and so it may well be outputting audio as spatial audio, and I've just not noticed it yet, or I haven't listened to anything that supports it yet. Um, but I'm not 100% certain that that's going to work super well in my living room, where I have like a speaker positioned on each side of the TV and I'm sitting six foot away on the other side of the room. I would, though, definitely be interested in finding out like decent places to position my HomePods so that I can get a surround sound experience uh, from my sofa. So I'm, you know, I'm going to have to do some experiments on that. And um, maybe I should uh, go watch uh, an episode of Ted Lasso uh, now that I've got the uh, HomePods hooked up to the Apple TV. Um, so thank you for that inspiration, Netflow. <laughs> but um yeah, I, I think personally, uh, considering the size of my living room, uh, I think a 5.1 or a 7.1 surround sound system would be considered overkill. Um, there, I have to say, that's also never stopped me. So I don't know, maybe next clockwise, I'll have a 7.1 surround sound uh, speaker system <laughs> and spatial audio everywhere. And it will be thanks to Flow Ion. We'll find out. What about you, John? Well, there was a day when I was into the 5.1 surround sound thing. I had built-in speakers at my house and a receiver, and it was all hooked up through my TV. And 
and, you know, a CD player and all those kinds of things. But over time, I used it less and less, especially as things like the original HomePods came out that I set up as a stereo pair in my living room. And that just became a more convenient and easier way to play music. And then when I moved nine months ago, I just abandoned the notion altogether of doing a dedicated surround sound system and have been really happy with just using those same home pods in my living room. As in terms of like headphones and so forth, I do use spatial audio for music both on my AirPods Pro and, and AirPods Max. I I think that the effect can be overdone. It's you know, it's still relatively new, and I think some producers have gone a little too far with it and it can kind of wreck songs at times. But if it's done in kind of a more subtle and nuanced way, I think it can add to the music. And I do do enjoy listening to music that way. So I, I haven't turned it off. I know some people do and some people it really just people find it distracting, but I do kind of like it. Uh, we just recently got a different television and uh, my boss uh, had some old surround sound systems that he wasn't using anymore. So uh, gave me the opportunity to try and it ended up being kind of a lot of work and not with much payoff in comparison to like John using home pods uh, in a stereo pair. And that technology when it first launched was not great. Um, and had some connectivity issues, and there were all this other stuff, uh, sync issues, that I think uh, gave people a, a bad taste in their mouth in the beginning. And I think that in some cases that narrative has continued. But if you have thought that, you know, that was not a way to go, try it now. And I think that many people will be very happy. Uh, Flo, why don't you round us out? I do have to say there is a bit of latency that we maybe don't hear at first with all of these new wireless technologies. You know, back in the day when we had 5.1, 7.1, it was wired. It was wired up in the ceiling. Um, and so it is kind of cool that we can ease more easily set up living room setups in this way. But it is still so very limited. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, despite the prettiness of those two HomePods, I'm still getting a lot more sound out of my soundbar with a subwoofer in the corner. <laughs> so. All right, folks, we are going to take a quick break. Uh, I want to tell you about Squarespace, who you may have heard of. Uh, they are bringing you this episode of Clockwise. Thank you, Squarespace. If you don't know, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform for building your brand, growing your business online, just creating a website, whatever you want to do. Uh, you can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything, you know, your products, your services, even the content you create. Squarespace has got you covered. With Squarespace, you can, if you have a product, sell your product. Product in an online store. Whether you sell physical or digital products, Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. You can get started with a best-in-class website template and customize it to fit your needs. It's as easy as browsing the category of your business to find a perfect starting place and then customize it after that with just a few clicks. And hey, a lot of people are blogging these days. You too can get to blogging. Squarespace has powerful blogging tools to share stories, photos, videos, updates. You'll be able to categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. So you out there should head to squarespace.com slash clockwise for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code clockwise to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. That's squarespace.com slash clockwise. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code clockwise to get 10% off your first purchase. And of course, to show your support for clockwise. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, we are back from the break, and that means it's time for Rose's topic. 
I recently saw an article say that uh, Microsoft wants to bring the Xbox Game Store to the iPhone, and they've actually gone as far as like to start building the app, assuming that there will be alternative app stores available. Um, and I also know that Xbox has cloud gaming. It's got remote gaming as well. Those are two separate things, one where you can play games in the cloud, one where you can play games on your Xbox, but view it on your iPad um, and yeah, this this whole thing is a little bit sort of mind-boggling and amazing. But as somebody who has only very recently purchased their very first Xbox console, and I'm I'm pleased to report it's an Xbox 360, folks. I've I've really gone for the latest and greatest here. <laughs> I would like to know: is the games console dying or is it dead? Um, can we just play everything on something with a decent screen and a controller? Is that something that's you know the future, or do you have another idea of what's going to happen with the world of games, John? Uh, I don't think that the console is going away, but I do think that the market is splintering for sure. I've used uh, Game Pass and you know local streaming as well as remote streaming on a lot of these services, but I do. F- there is a degree of latency still. I also feel like the fact that, especially in some parts of the world, U.S. in particular, where internet service is not that fast in a lot of places, and when it is fast, it's very expensive is going to slow down adoption of this. So I don't think the console is going anywhere anytime soon. But I do think you're going to see more and more of this sort of thing happening because, you know, mobile is really where a lot of the gaming industry has gone over the last several years. And being able to put those PC-level games on your mobile device is a big deal. And that's why I think Microsoft is so interested. I just see people playing the games that they play in different ways and doing just fine uh, that way. So an example of this is I have played uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla using an iPhone and even an iPad and the uh, Amazon Luna service. And I will say that while it was on Wi-Fi, it was not perfect. But while it was on Ethernet, it worked incredibly well. And I was kind of shocked at how well it worked. I don't know, Rosemary. (laughs) I don't know. I think um, people could do it with just a controller and a good screen. But I don't know that everybody has the sort of internet and the hardware that they need together to make it possible to play with just a good screen and a controller. Um, Flo, I'm curious to hear your thoughts because I think you game. I am actually into cloud gaming. I have um, because of, I will say, my gross privilege of gigabit internet. Um, it is very expensive. I spend about $160 a month on internet. So it is not something that, you know, everybody should be paying for. Um, but as a result, I've been able to fully reap the benefits of, you know, when testing these, these cloud, um, situations. Also, I'm noticing that there is a, breadth of cloud gaming consoles that are handheld consoles that are coming out right now from Logitech and Razer specifically. They're really trying to push this idea of like cloud gaming on a handheld. All you need is, you know, a Game Boy sized console and you have all this, all this gaming at your fingertips. But I agree that it's very hard to achieve this without the bandwidth out in the world. Razer has kind of gone around this by teaming up with Verizon. It's like our 5G, Verizon's 5G is perfect for cloud gaming. So expect a lot more marketing around that. But definitely cloud gaming is for a privileged few in its current iteration. I would like to see it 
get easier for people with more regular internet bandwidth (laughs) allotment, especially here in the US, because then I feel like it'll be a nice convenience factor for people like me who just maybe want to pop into a cozy game without owning it. I think that another factor that needs to be considered here when it comes to cloud gaming is one-time purchase versus subscription costs. It's actually a great idea that you could subscribe to something to try it out and see, do I actually like Xbox games and and is this worth trying? And I've just discovered, thanks to Micah, that Amazon Luna is available over here in the UK, uh, luna.amazon.co.uk, um, which is something that I didn't realize the last time I checked out Amazon Luna, it was US only. Um, and so that is you know, pretty cool that you could sign up for like a month and try some stuff out and so on. But then you have that continuing ongoing cost, uh, which you need to pay for. So that with internet stacked on top, um, and then internet sometimes being better on some days and worse on other days, much like the weather is, you know, just one of those things where it, it might work perfectly for some people. And I cannot wait for the day that I have gigabit and symmetrical internet. Um, But that day is probably further off than I would really like it to be. And until then, uh, I think I'll just continue struggling to get Microsoft Teams to let me (laughs) join a call without turning me into a robot. So I'll uh, I'll have to stick with uh, buying that good old Xbox 360. But you know what? I got a connect to go with it. So I'm going to go have fun with Down Central after this. All right. I have a question for everyone about social media. I I was recently testing Gowalla. And for those who don't remember, Gowalla was a location check-in app that came out in 2007, right around the time of the iPhone. And it lasted for about five years before going away. And so when I saw that this app was coming back, I had kind of a wave of early iPhone nostalgia and downloaded the app, tested it out for a while, But I hesitated. I hesitated to check in anywhere because a lot has changed with location, what we know about location tracking, what we know about social media and our relationships, I think, for a lot of people has really changed with the way they use social media. And I checked in a couple places and I followed one or two people, but that was about it because Honestly, I don't want to share my location with very many people these days beyond my immediate family and a handful of friends. And I was just wondering from uh, what your experience has been like. Did you ever use Goala? Would you use it again? And even if you haven't, how has your relationship with uh, social media changed? I feel like we've only just maybe in from like 2020 is when I started to hear people outside of, of tech talking about actually managing their privacy, managing their protection uh, online. It's taken this long for for folks to feel that way. So it is interesting to see this kind of check-in app relaunch because I do think that people are more protective. But I also think those of us with an online presence and, you know, who uh, regularly appear in in people's ears where um, folks might feel like they are closer to us than they are and we don't necessarily we are not necessarily aware of that. And, you know, I just don't want people knowing where I am um, at all times. And I don't uh, feel comfortable with that at all and do my best to maintain some level of separation. So, yeah, there are many reasons why it's not for me. But I respect, you know, the folks who make the choice to share their current location and, you um, celebrate their sort of freedom and ability to do so without fear or concern. I think that's um, pretty cool. Uh, Flo, what are your thoughts? As I've gotten older, 
Hmm. Like I do not have time to socialize the way I did before Mona. And I I miss it. Like I, I need it. I am an introvert, but social media really helps me get my fill of society without sort of like crossing that boundary for me. In terms of like location-based social media, I was a big user of Foursquare way back in the day. And that's because in your 20s, you just want to tell everybody about where you're eating and drinking and where you're hanging out. I don't really feel like doing that as much anymore um, in my late 30s. But I have adopted some interesting social media uh, routes, which is Strava, for one, mm-hmm. has become a social media where we all kind of like cheer each other on for our mental health walks. And obviously, I have my friends who are training for marathons, too, and I cheer them on as well. But um, I've managed to get some friends on there just so we can like cheer each other on for mental health walks. I will I will post pictures from the walks. So I have a lot of like nature photography there of just like what the sky looked like. And it's become like a nice, safe place to do that. Um, and also Pokemon Go, because it's, you know, again, that's a location based social network in of itself. But um, I've made friends in the Bay Area who also play Pokemon Go because of that. And I've I found out who is also playing it because I gave it access to my contacts. So I think it's just a case by case basis. And I empower everybody to make these same decisions about social media in their lives. I have and to an extent still use this location based check in um, stuff, but exclusively at very particular times, such as when I'm traveling and it's somewhere where I'm happy with people finding me. For example, uh, if I were attending WWDC, then I might you know, use Foursquare or similar to check in in places and have that redistributed to other social media um, as well. So that, you know, if people are looking for me and want to say hi, they can do that. But I don't use it at home like that. Um, And in fact, I went to a local burger place the other day, um, which isn't very far away. And I posted some pictures on my Instagram story and I was about to tag the place, which I usually do when I post pictures. And then I was like, you know what, this feels like it's a little too close to home. Like, there's nothing wrong necessarily with somebody finding that place. And I, it's not a place that I'm at the burger, I'm not at the burger joint every day. So it's not like somebody's going to be able to find me and follow me home. But I, I, I decided that I didn't really want to tag the place because it is near my home. So I didn't. And I think that it's one of those things where social media has, um, you know, multiple contexts, not just the context of who you are and who you're sharing with, but also, where you are in the event that you're currently participating in or, you know, the time of year or whatever it is, um, which makes a big difference to how this uh, to how you interact with it and how people interact then as an association with you. Because, you know, if you are willingly posting your location, that usually means, hey, feel free to come find me and say hi. Um, and, you know, that that's sometimes fine, sometimes not fine. So, you know, you kind of have to figure out whether or not you want to you want to do that. And I've certainly ended up sharing a lot less on social media or specifically using things like Instagram stories rather than Instagram posts as time has gone on, just because, I mean, it's going on the Internet, so it's there forever, but it doesn't have to be quite so visibly there forever. And uh, I'll pass back to you, John, to round things out. Yeah, I think my my relationship with social media sounds a lot like yours, Rosemary, especially when it comes to location data. I, you know, when I was testing Guala out, 
I, you know, I'm living in a new area and I was exploring my neighborhood and I thought, oh, here's some cool places. I'd like to, you know, tag these. But then, you know, once you look at that map, once you do that, it you realize it's pretty easy to triangulate back to wherever you live if it's if it's like a walking distance kind of thing. So, yes, I will do it at a, something like WWDC, but generally not so much in and around where I live. And I guess in in general with social media, my use overall has declined. Part of that is just being busy and trying to stay focused on what I need to get done with my work. But it's also, you know, it's just become one of those things where I think I've become a little more private over time when it comes to things like Twitter, which I'm no longer on, or even Mastodon for that matter. I mean, I it, it's it's a compo- big component of what we do with Mac Stories. It's part of the publicity that we, you know, that we're sharing our stories and things that we do on podcasts and whatnot. Uh, but I, I use it, I think, a little less personally than I probably did in the past. All right, folks, uh, let us take a quick break before we come back with the bonus topic. I want to tell you about how to fix the Internet. And by that, I mean, go listen to the podcast, How to Fix the Internet. I'm not going to tell you how to. It will tell you how to. It's an original podcast from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Uh, Sometimes it can feel like we are lurching toward a digital future that no one wants, where we're constantly checking in with our location and everybody knows where we are. But it doesn't have to be that way. There are choices we can make to create an internet that makes a better future for all of us. Technologists and policymakers have real solutions to the problems facing our online world today, so we can build an internet that has all of the good things we want from tech with none of that creepy stuff. Your hosts are Cindy Cohen and Jason Kelly. Cindy is the executive director of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, has been in the trenches and the courtrooms and the boardroom of tech activism for decades. And Jason joins the show this season. He is a digital strategist and activist with the EFF, where he focuses his work on privacy, free speech and surveillance. In each episode, Cindy and Jason invite someone with a vision on how to fix the Internet, someone with real solutions on how to move the needle toward a better online world. The show will make you feel better about your digital future. You'll help you be more knowledgeable about what needs fixing and be more engaged to demand change. And episodes are available anywhere you listen to podcasts and at EFF.org slash podcast. And folks, I am telling you right now, you have got to go listen to the most recent episode. It's called So You Think You're a Critical Thinker. Uh, This is with Alice Marwick, who's an associate professor in the Department of Communication and co-founder and principal researcher at the Center for Information, Technology and Public Life at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I'm saying her whole title just so you know uh, exactly what uh, Alice is all about. But here's the thing. This is all about disinformation. And if you have paid attention (laughs) last four, five years, six years, then you probably like me have felt that moment of like, There's nothing I can do at all to fix this issue of disinformation because people get so locked into their identity being part of what um, they believe, even if that thing that they believe is incorrect. And what I love about this is Alice talks about when fact checking works and when it doesn't, when it can push someone away, um, how you kind of combat disinformation and how you understand it and its ties to personal identity. I walked away from this actually feeling like there's a way to make a difference and not feeling so defeated, which is kind of the whole idea of this podcast. So you've got to check out the most recent episode. 
uh, please do. And you can do that by searching for how to fix the internet. Do that in your podcast player, because if you do it on Google, then Google might have a bunch of ideas for how you fix the internet that involve like, I don't know, calling Comcast and asking them to restart your router. Uh, we'll also include a link in the show notes uh, to access that. And of course, our thanks to how to fix the internet for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Now it's time for the bonus topic. What is a word that you'd been pronouncing incorrectly for some period of time? Uh, Flo, we'll start with you. I have lots of stories about this uh, being a child of ESL, but for a long time, and this is PG-13, I used to call it the humper. It is the hamper. Oh, bless. (laughs) I love that. I love it. Rose, what about you? The one that I mispronounced for the longest time, because I learned it by reading, which I still think is an excellent way to learn books, is picture skew. It's actually picturesque. It just took me a really long time to figure that out. I love it. See, uh, I think this makes people feel a whole lot better. Like we all have these words. John, what's yours? Uh, mine is biopic, which I've always said as biopic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same, same. <laughs> I am from the Midwest. And for some reason, it seems like a Midwestern thing. The word is B-O-T-H, both. But I said it as if there was an L between the O and the T, both. And then someone asked me, like, well, what, why are you saying both? And I just had this realization. Oh, both. Right. There's no L in there. Thank you all for uh, bearing a little bit of your, you know, per- perhaps embarrassment. I think we should <laughs> celebrate the fact that, you know, we um, we all have those little things that we we deal with. But uh, if you'd like to get ad free episodes with an extra overtime topic every week, you out there listening can become a member of Clockwise. All you got to do is go to Relay.fm slash Clockwise and sign up for $5 a month or $50 a year and you'll help support the show in this week's overtime topic we discuss our favorite gadgets and with that we have reached the end of this episode of clockwise all it's left is to thank our awesome guests flow ion thank you so much for being here today thank you so much for having me and thank you john Voorhees, for joining us we greatly appreciate it and thanks for having me too and with that it is time to remind everyone out there listening watch what you say and keep watching, not washing, your clock. (laughs) Bye, everybody.